Bankman had. Welcome to Dead Cat, an episode about how Sam Bankman freed, fooled us all, tricked the world, the ultimate con. It's been the craziest story in tech, like, I don't know. I think since, I mean, I covered Uber so closely, but I think this is crazy. I mean, in terms of zero to 100, this is the biggest scam CEO story since we've started covering tech. Does anybody disagree with that? Well, first of all, I would say 100 to zero, not zero to 100. (laughs) That's true. And to go full Bill Simmons on this here, I would say we're looking at maybe what is one of the craziest weeks in VC, like tech history. Like, I I think this has got to rank up there in terms of one of the most just like astonishing storylines, hilarious characters being, you know, brought up to the fore. Uh, This has got to rank up. This has got to be top five. Did I introduce our guest? We have Teddy Schleifer here. I think we've... We'll just jump in. People jump figure in. it out. You know, People figure it out halfway through. Yeah, <laughs> we've got the Fedayeen here, Teddy Schleifer. You can't see the video here, but he is he's looking like Yasser Arafat in his prime. I'm pretty sick. Teddy, we've called you the SBF whisperer before, you know, now. Wow. Ex- yeah, I've, got, I've gotten a few texts from people who are like, sorry for your loss. Is <laughs> <laughs> um, it such a good story or like? Well, or, I mean, I think as reporters, you're always kind of, you know, maybe consciously or, or unconsciously, like kind of betting on storylines, right? About, right people you think are interesting and like obviously sam is still interesting for other reasons and, uh, very know. interesting i would say uh, more interesting but, but than ever I've, I've gotten a few messages from people that are like suggest that you know it would have been better for you know my career if if he was well, extraordinary just to, just to read between time, the so. lines for the the listener a little bit i mean sure. you in particular cover sort of philanthropy and wealth and this is a guy who is doing the most interesting stuff i mean funneling tons of money into effective altruism, using his wealth, swearing he was going to give it all away. And so if you cover the philanthropy wealth beat and you have this guy who's pretty open about it, creative about it, I mean, it's just the story that keeps on giving. I mean, that's sort of what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, look, I mean, he shot out of a cannon. I think, I I do think it was zero to 100 and 100 100 to zero. I mean, he is someone who, I first talked to Sam in like September 2020. Um was off the record, but it was basically, Sam was starting to do more and more political donations. And at that point, like, no one knew who he was. This, this is not a brag. It's just like a point about, like, the speed here. And, just and, a and fact that, that yeah, yeah. reflects no, no, no. well on me. No, but well, I, mean, yeah, the point, I didn't even realize until reading some of the stories that FTX <laughs> yeah. is only a three-year-old company. Like, yeah, this motherfucker's yeah. only been on the scene since, like, the last years of the Trump presidency. It's not like this guy's been, like, hanging around the hoop for a long time and finally had his moment. Sure. He fucking came out of nowhere. I mean, like, yeah, I agree with you. 100, zero to 100 and then 100 to zero. But like that progression is basically a supercar that got to 100 miles per hour and then crashed into a cliff. Right. I mean, last week I had coffee with someone who is sort of in his orbit. And it was like a totally normal conversation. I think I said something along, along the lines of like, yeah, I'm not really interested, that interested in the story anymore. Like, you know, I'm covering, uh, you know, I'm interested in Peter Thiel stuff and other characters. Like, didn't you guys stop reading like the Sam Bankman Freed profiles oh like, like six am, months ago? I yeah. am somewhat I was surprised happy how, that I never wrote one, you know. Yeah. Like, well, the I'm guy surprised was also, how, how, how was, long those were going on. He was flooding the zone for a while, right? He would appear at everything. Like, hilariously enough, he was just at the Wall Street Journal's tech conference. You know, he was being interviewed by an editor over there. But that guy would not turn down a lot of interview requests. And so he was playing this perfect game with the media, which was, you know, appearing as this very accessible, understandable, familiar, uh, eventually figure within a community that is often the opposite of that. 
And it was such brilliant presentation. But look, I, there's so much to talk about with this, but I feel like we have to do like a little yeah, bit. Yeah, let me give the footnotes a little real bit. quick. I'll yeah. do the quick footnotes in classic fashion, you know, at four and a half minutes into the episode or whatever. <laughs> That's what I was saying. Don't even introduce the guest until like 20 minutes in. You <laughs> right, know, like, exactly. Play, Leave them wanting for more. more. We have a high information audience. <laughs> they know Teddy by voice and they know Sam Bankman-Fried because they've read every SPF, story. SPF, they know my initial. But Sam Bankman-Fried, who are all calling SPF, you know, grows this firm Alameda Research, which becomes like a major crypto investor. And then because of the success of that firm, I mean, he and all this story will be scrutinized for probably like decades at this point. So this is all based on sort of the public narrative. But the story was that this is the guy who figured out how to sort of connect. There was always a gap in the price of Bitcoin in Asia and the United States. And he helped close that gap in pricing. He was an ARB. He was an arbitrage trader and made a bunch of money on that. His experience as an ARB helped him to found FTX, which then became one of the largest exchanges for cryptocurrencies outside the United States. He ended up raising $210 million from Sequoia, the best venture capital firm in the world. He raised billions of dollars at very high valuations. I think it got up to $32 billion. There's a hysterical story that Sequoia self-published, like the ultimate piece of like propaganda that has them just like fawning over him. And he's playing like League of Legends on the side, which they don't even know at the time. And like somehow that's spun into a positive. And the guy is like, we could sell bananas on FTX. We could sell everything. It, you know, it's the total like we can be the world. So he builds up FTX. Can I stop you for a second there? Because I didn't read the article. What does that mean, self-published? Did they just put it on Sequoia.com? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a, oh, they okay. hired like some, I think it was a magazine writer. But I mean, it's a colorfully written magazine article. It's fawning. But oh, so they basically just had like like they kind of played an A sixteen Z. Yeah, sort it was of a go direct thing. It's the yeah. most. Ex- it's now the most like high profile instance of going direct. This ever. is what people want. They want. They don't want. They want to cut <laughs> us out of the loop. They want to right. go straight to the consumers. Exactly. And, this and is because. It. I mean, it shows exactly how every uh, action has this equal and opposite reaction in that, you know, you make a story so glowing that then when something bad happens, you look like an absolute fool to the point that Sequoia took the magazine style profile down and replaced it with like its letter to limited partners basically apologizing. They just took it down? Yeah. They can't even find the article? Which the media doesn't do. You know, we put a Mm -hmm. correction up. You try not to just delete things. But there's a screenshot. Everybody fucking I'm sorry, Sequoia. This kind of impugns your integrity as a media (laughs) outfit. I I mean, I just think people are not going to trust you anymore. I've just canceled my subscription to Sequoia Monthly. All right. That's very disturbing. Back on track. So FTX seems like Top crypto exchange, as Teddy's going to talk about. Sam Bankman Freed, I think he was the number two Democratic donor recently. What, what What's the number you use? Yeah, it depends on your yeah. definition. He was a top sure. Democratic donor. Sure. Though he also promised some money that I think didn't come together, which I think we can get into. But then Coindesk, who did great reporting. And I think also some of these like, you know, random Twitter accounts that I'm not even in, in sort of deep enough in crypto world to know about. But, you know, people start to say something seems off with Alameda's the investment arms balance sheet. It seems like they hold a lot of FTX's made up currency, which seems super worrying. And then basically, you know, people start asking questions and all of a sudden it becomes, it seems the allegations, what people sort of think happened is that FTX used customer money, like billions of it, to basically shore up Alameda's sort of failing positions. And once you start, you know, using customer money to like just gamble it away and try and make up your losses. You know, that's how every like big scam comes undone. And that's what happened to Sam Bankman-Fried. So yeah, and that's happened in the last like few days. I mean, and we basically find out for sure 
because Sam Bankman-Fried says we're going to get bought by Binance, and it's like clear that it's like a fire sale. Binance is a rival, a real enemy of FTX, and then that doesn't even come together. And today, uh, we're recording this on Friday. I think they filed for bankruptcy, and yeah, it seems like it'll keep getting worse. And he stepped down as CEO, which was a shocking turn of events near the end. <laughs> and the guy they put in charge is the guy who dealt with Enron's collapse. Yeah. Did you see that? Nice to have in your resume there. It's like, oh, no, we've gotten we brought in the Enron guy to help check right. out the balance sheets. <laughs> right. The last right. stages. I mean, this has gone to zero, right? I, I know you, you initially said that I was skeptical, but if you're filing for Chapter 11, you've basically assumed, and I think this is how Sequoia explained it to their partners, we expect our position in FTX to be worthless. Oh, yeah. I point. said it was going to zero right away. I don't know why you were skeptical of that. Well, because they had spun it. You were also the guy who thought Blake Masters was going to win in Arizona. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, fine. <laughs> I mean, we I can call me up later in the episode on that one. I'm glad we have Teddy here for that. But but no, here, because I initially had read the spin that Sam Bankman-Fried had put out that this was just about FTX.com. FTX.us couldn't be stronger. We're actually sure. going to be you know buying the naming rights to another arena. So we feel <laughs> as good as we've ever felt about that. So I was like, oh... Maybe, you know, I, I just didn't know. I assumed that there was some salvageable part of this company. But no, it's all gone. It's all flushed down the toilet. SBX basically walked into Sequoia's office with his fucking shorts and his slides and was like, will you give me any money to save this thing? And they're like, we just rescinded our glowing. I mean, it seems like Sequoia didn't know until yeah. really late. I mean, yeah, I was going to ask you, Eric, to what extent, you know, since you reported the most on the investor reaction here, like to what extent do you buy the spin that like, we had no idea versus, you know. Right now, I buy it. I mean, okay. why? Sequoia was not on like a formal board. There's some reporting there was like a board of weird insiders, but there's sort of like an advisory council of investors. But it, I mean, this Alfred Lynn, you know, the guy who invested in DoorDash and a board member of Airbnb. Very successful VC, often at the top of the Forbes. He was yeah. the Midas list number one at one point. Yeah. My point is, he's not a crypto expert, and he's like their main guy on FTX along with a growth investor. And so I just don't know how savvy they were. And I do think you're sort of relying on the statement, you know, if you don't get an outside auditor, you're relying on sort of the honesty of of the company. I mean, I think they look extremely bad for not knowing. And every investor, basically, every other investor is like, well, Sequoia invested. It's This is a sure thing, you know? I mean, I literally had people admitting to me, yeah, we sort of outsourced our diligence to Sequoia on this one. Like, they're, I mean, they're not even hiding. I mean, it's, you know, anonymously, but they're not really hiding that, like, well, we thought Sequoia. And Sequoia, in their letter to limited partners, was like, yeah, we do diligence. We do a lot of diligence. I mean, they, they do see themselves as the firm this isn't quite Andreessen where it's like, we take bets, you know, but Andreessen. No additional work right, required, right. Andreessen Horowitz, yeah. Right. Yeah. Sequoia, you know, did say, you know, we're in the business of like risk and and so some have outside returns and some don't. Have you ever seen a VC firm? Teddy, you love coming on here and asking questions, but. I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> have you ever seen a VC firm? I'm genuinely curious because, Eric, you cover this world more closely than Tom or I do. Like, have you ever seen a VC firm tweet or frankly publicly release a letter to LPs before? I've never no, seen that. No, I've never seen which, that. Which I think just speaks to like... And it came after the... my story. I want some credit. I, I don't know. Okay. Certainly like... I got a lot of those facts out before they did and I wrote a very negative story about Sequoia and then they were doing... My favorite part of the Sequoia letter was at the end, they said, we look forward to backing SBF's next venture. We're, we're very <laughs> really? excited about what the future no, holds with Sequoia and no, SBF. he's joking. <laughs> no, but uh, people were joking. That <laughs> I, thought, I, I, I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> that Andreessen would, you know, saddle up and like give him. Though, of course, you know, Andreessen, I mean, the funny thing, this is sort of a side, and then 
Teddy, I want to ask you some questions. But, you know, Andreessen couldn't invest because they were big in Coinbase anyway. But this is extremely validating to like Mark Andreessen's worldview, right? Like SBF is like the perfect Democrat. All the media loves him because he like shits on crypto. He's not really a true believer. He's like a money guy. He's deep in democratic politics. He has like this great philosophy of effective altruism. Media loves him. So, Teddy, were you had or like, I mean, you're not like a crypto reporter, but like the the media loved this guy. Mm-hmm. What's your reaction to that? No, I mean, look, there's an element of, I, I guess I kind of feel like maybe Sequoia does. The only difference is that I'm not investing hundreds of millions of dollars into this, which is like, I'm not an expert on crypto, right? I mean, Sam leg- legitimately was one of the, you know, five biggest Democratic donors in the country. You know, the lobbying work he was doing and the philanthropic work he was doing were genuinely newsworthy. Like, I mean, I don't I don't feel had, no. I mean, I feel like, obviously, I feel had in the extent that, like, you know, the business venture that that was propping up all the other work he was doing was clearly unethical, illegal, choose your best word. But what he was doing was 100% newsworthy. Like, you know, he was headlining congressional retreats for Democrats and Republicans. You know, they bought a townhouse in Capitol Hill and was like hosting right. tons of How do you legislators all the time. Right. Like, But here's, here's my question. Yeah. Here's my pushback to you on this, Teddy, because in one sense, you are in the business of explaining his philanthropic work. But you're also in the business of profiling the guy and understanding where he sits. Now, I understand you're not a crypto reporter, so you wouldn't have had the sourcing or the attention to find out whether this was all built on a giant over-leveraged house of cards. But Mm. in writing so much about the guy, you do sort of help build up his reputation. You help give him the kind of access to the world that he wants to have access to. And do you not feel at least partly responsible for helping to build up that reputation in a way that benefited him, even though it was all so foundationally weak? Sure, but that's like, that's the way the world works, which is like, you know, when when Pete Buttigieg, right, does a bajillion interviews and is genuinely interesting, does that help Pete Buttigieg in the Democratic primary? Of course it does. But like, I don't think the role of a journalist is to, to I don't say know, no I, I, to good interviews. I, like, what am I, I going to say I don't, no to? <laughs> to I don't think about, I guess, I guess, I, I don't know about you guys. I, I know journalists can disagree on the, about this. I don't think that much about the consequences of my reporting. And I say that not to be callous, but I like, like sometimes you guys ever encounter this with, with a source or with a story where a company is like, oh, but if you write about our fundraise, it's going to imperil my fundraise. Oh, yeah, I don't it's give like, a shit. It's no, like, no, no, of course like, not. No, it's like, like fundraise. So, or whatever. I mean, but like, but, yeah. I, but this, is, this is like a more generalized point that like, I, I feel like if Sam Bankman-Fried is a interesting, juicy story, then like, that's kind of where my... Right. Like field of vision kind of lies. Well, but and like, okay. And does, does, does that like legitimize I mean, Teddy, him? Teddy, like, Teddy is not whatever. Like, Teddy is not. I mean, you're writing for insiders, and there's no question that like for insiders and donors, like this guy was like a huge player and that he's he's propping up all these organizations. I mean, I, I would blame a little bit more, not to let our friend off the hook, but like some of the magazine articles where people really spent time with the guy. Right. Right. I mean, that, right. see, see, of... that, that's the question, because if you're going to be profiling the guy, yeah, I don't know if them. Teddy, no, look, I don't know. And look, Teddy, I don't know if you ever did like a full on profile of SBF. And by the way, I don't want to pick on you. I'm really glad you came on. You're obviously an expert on SBF in a very specific part of his life that turned out to be, you know, not what it really, you know, he presented it as. But if you are profiling the guy, you have a responsibility, at least somewhat to raise questions about his validity as a character and whether or not his business that he's built it on is at least questionable. You know, I I guess that was the shocking thing about this whole episode to me 
was that, you know, in addition to him positioning himself so cleverly to the media as, you know, a, a very familiar face, he had kind of a Zuckerberg sort of air about him. He was playing through all the mainstream channels in terms of donated Democrats. He also was coming up as a legitimate business person. And there wasn't too many questions about the fact that he was going out and bailing out these shitty crypto startups, which also, I think, helped feed into a presumption of stability on his part. Well, he must be part of a stable business because he's buying out the shitty right. businesses. So he must be the good business. So, so I guess, yeah, so to get to my actual question here is like, should there have been more questioning of just how stable he and FTX were? Because I just didn't see any of it. And that's why it came yeah. off as such a shock. Because if in the weeks leading up to this announcement, you know, the, the, this collapse, there had been whisperings in the mainstream you know, press, not even just like Coindesk, which was just a week ago, that there was a, a real question about how solid and, and, and liquid this business was, it would have seemed a bit more reasonable when it happened. And instead, it just felt like it came out of nowhere. And I think to some degree, that is a failing of the broader business press that wrote so much about him and never even raised the questions that as crypto is collapsing, so too could this one solitary figure who has tried to position himself somewhat apart and yet clearly is tied up in all of the, you know, fragility in the space. Look, I mean, my knowledge of crypto or of the Sam empire from a business point of view was like, you know, I could write a sentence or two, you know, in the nut graph to orient readers, but not to pass the buck. But like, you're, you're totally right, Tom, that I feel like there was like zero reporting ever to suggest that like, you know, I, I feel like even with like other fintech companies, like like Robinhood, you'd occasionally see like this. I, this is the liberal it. bias of media. This is the first yeah. time I'm really willing to agree with people. And I feel like people aren't hammering this one hard enough. Like, I, I do think it's like he was a good Democrat. And not just that he was aligned with Democrats, but he does the things that sort of the intelligentsia wants. Like, he has mm. sort of provocative views and you think, about, and like— you, And you think, you think that explicitly— Encourage reporters not to question the business. Yeah, I think yes, I, I, yes, yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I versus do. the China guy, the Binance company, and fucking Brian Armstrong, the libertarian Lex mm -hmm. Luthor-looking guy, definitely. Like this is Sam Bankman-Fried was what the media class like. like report, reporters are are rooting for him to succeed. Just like so, just yeah. their I, their gut, like their sense of who's like a believable person, like SBF, sure. is like our type of guy. I mean, it's just the reality. I am including myself in this critique. Yeah. Look, I didn't write shit about him. Not that it was my beat, but like, I, yes, I, I think he played on so many of the in inherent unconscious biases, whatever term you want to use, of what we consider yeah. a legitimate and stable business person is that you know, people weren't his, even asking his parents questions. went to Stanford. They were like professor types, lawyers, you know, he lived just in Berkeley, of, the right. you know, effective altruism shit, all right. of it. It was a brilliant performance. What, what the contrast is Elizabeth Holmes. Like, there's yeah. some utility to the metaphor and, and totally. so, some not. So I want to I break it down. To what extent do you think this is like the Elizabeth Holmes situation? Well, a little, little hard to Holmes see right now. Elizabeth Holmes didn't dupe any VCs, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. That's, the, that's the quality the of her investors were worse. I mean, I mean, I mean let, let's see where the dust settles here in terms of the, the legal questions, right? Right. Um, We're not at, like, making any legal accusations. Yes, yes. Uh, do not sue dead cat. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, I mean, the Holmes narrative, right? I think everyone would agree was like fraud and was a level beyond, you know, your standard deception here. Um, like, could the SBF storyline rival that? Maybe. Uh, I mean, they, they both had glowing magazine covers. I think the reporters believed in SBF more than they believed in Elizabeth Holmes, whereas Elizabeth Holmes did mm -hmm. have the sort of we're rooting for the upstart woman dynamic that's awkward to talk about, but... 
is obviously true. No, I, sure. mean, I mean, Sam being a young, a young white dude is definitely a part of this, mostly being written about by other young white dudes. I would say it's hard because Theranos was such an incredible story because this was a hardware device in which she was making outlandish promises, was, was, was claiming partnerships that didn't exist. I mean, the fraud went so deep and was so tangible. Whereas with crypto, really, you know, what happened here, it sounds like, and you tell me, Eric, but like, you know, he was incredibly over leveraged and was taking unadvisable risks with client money right. in terms yeah. of shoring <laughs> up his own position. You should never use client money. Like, I mean, obviously, you can invest client money in some cases, but shifting client money to a totally different, you know, vehicle mm. to make speculative risk. I mean, that's it's sort of far outside good. What behavior. is the uh, Eric? What is the least incriminating version of events for Sam that you could come up with? Like, what is the argument that Sam is nothing like Elizabeth Holmes and that this was all, you know, a misunderstanding? I mean, th th I guess the least incriminating this total bullshitting though is just that like. FTX was fucked as soon as like those earlier contagions went down and that he basically had to do everything to get out of that or otherwise the customers were fucked anyway. And so he sort of violated customer trust once it was like, well, if you knew what was going on, you're, you're, you were going to get destroyed. So who cares? And then maybe he would have written it out if only, you know, Binance hadn't like drawn attention to this and leaks hadn't tried to really raise questions. And then there was sort of a run on the bank. And the run on the bank really did him in. But I mean, I feel like that's like you could say similar things to Bernie Madoff. It's like I almost got away with it. Like if you if no one had flagged this, I would have raised more money. And I right, that's going how a Ponzi scheme right. works. Is right. that you, yeah. <laughs> the problem is when the, the music stops and then it all kind of falls apart. I mean, again, I think because crypto is still such an unstable space and, you know, the air went out of that balloon with such rapidity. It's just hard to compare it to like the organized and step by step deception that Elizabeth Holmes had. Which, you know, like there was no there there with. Well, um, well I mean, there's that famous, Theranos. famous, famous to the tech reporter said and super insiders, but interview where Matt Levine of Bloomberg is like talking to Sam Bankman Freed and like basically Sam admits that maybe like a lot of these like made up currencies are should be worth nothing. And they're sort of playing games like he almost admits that the whole thing is a farce and it's just like. Yeah, yeah. Matt Levine is like, you sort of admitted that this is like fake, right? Well, why also did reporters not ask questions about FTX in the wake of all the collapses of the crypto companies? And as he was buying up all of these shitty mm. startups, bailing them out or whatever, doing it as like this mitzvah. Because FTX was an exchange. I think that's like, Alameda is sort of like a private, like speculative investment firm. It's like, whatever, who cares what Sam's doing with that? He talks about it. I would hear whispers from people. Like I reached out to Sam one point. He didn't reply. But I was like, I heard you shorted like the stock market. You made a ton of money. You know, there are all sorts of rumors on just like the genius of Sam Bankman Freed. He seemed to have unlimited amounts of money. And so it's like, okay, Alameda, that's his like private like investment firm that doesn't really affect, while they're investors probably, I don't even know the dynamics of it. It's not like public money. The crazy thing is using like basically bank account style money with FTX right. to shore that up. So it's not the same as these like made up currencies, you know, which really felt like, like Tether. It is not like Tether. It is different than that. But uh, had the crypto market not fallen you know, off a cliff in terms sure, of just yeah. the value of all these currencies. Right. If everything keeps he going would up, have been fine. Be fine. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, that, you know, it's just in the same way that, you know, the 2008 crisis exposed Bernie right. Madoff. Yeah. Like but this that, clearly... that's not like, oh, we, we only build our investment vehicle to work if everything continues to rise. It's like, yeah, that's that's nice. That's every scammer in the world.
on like a crypto specific question, and maybe we're not qualified enough to answer it, but you know, Tom, this is you, a podcast. You can say whatever you want. Uh, we alluded no- to it a little bit in, in Eric's intro, but you know, another key figure in this whole thing was was CZ over at Binance, who basically said, "I'm dumping all my holdings in FTT." And that basically kicked out like the rotten leg underneath FTX that caused this whole thing to happen. Right. And, you know, you mentioned Matt Levine. I mean, he had a pretty funny and telling analogy in one of his newsletters earlier this week or last week or something where he was saying, you know, during the 2008 financial crisis, if you went around, you know, if you were like a banker and you were saying to people, hey, uh, I hear Lehman Brothers isn't doing too well these days. Why don't you move your money over to my, you know, to our bank? Right. That actually would be a disastrous thing to do. Your boss should fire you because right. you aren't just bringing over a new account. You're undermining, you know, trust the banking and, and system, the entire system. And so I, I do wonder if, you know, because, you know, CZ, when he when he, you know, there was a brief period where they were going to acquire them and then they ended up not doing it. I mean, this hurt the whole system. He yeah. didn't benefit himself. I think there's a chance that. that CZ did want to sort of acquire it. some situation, but I think mm. I buy it was too bad. Well, I'm just wondering if he didn't realize how weak they were. Like, he thought he was going right. to dump them. I don't think he realized that he was going to be toppling, you know, a headline fucking banner company in the space that is, like, undoubtedly going to hurt him. But I want to move, I want to change back to sort of Teddy's area of expertise here. Please. I mean, what does this mean for Democrats? And also, don't Democrats, like, look bad? Like, I mean, I think people move on pretty fast from the donor for a given party is evil unless they it happens to be laden with anti-Semitism. But the uh, I don't know. Do, do you think it's it's damning to the Democrats that they so readily took SBF's money when he turns out to be this sort of negative figure? Look, I mean, uh, like, is this Harvey Weinstein level where, you know, Democrats had to, like, donate his money to, like, time's up? Uh, no. It's too um, much money to do that. <laughs> Well, I mean, the re- the reality is, I mean, the 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 money that Sam has donated has primarily been to his own super PAC. Sam started a group called Protect Our Future, which spent like twenty thirty <laughs> everything million dollars. Everything is related party uh, transactions with this guy. Everything. Well, I mean, like, that's, yeah. that's not that's not that unusual. That's not that's not that unusual for donors yeah. to their own group. But basically, like the broader context here, Sam over the last eighteen months has hired a ton of fucking people. Like, there's so many consultants who. I mean, Will McCaskill, the effective altruistic, altruist guy, that guy yeah. looks terrible. I mean, he has been out. Though Will McCaskill, for- Will McCaskill last night is a signatory to this like pretty yeah. extraordinary statement. So for folks who don't know, Will McCaskill was on the board of the FTX Future Fund, which is like Sam's primary philanthropy for Sam. And not just Sam, actually, frankly, all these other kind of senior FTX execs who are all aligned. And they put out the statement last night that said, like, we are shocked and appalled effectively you know, alleging possible deception by FTX leadership. And it was, you know, interesting because Will McCaskill is like Sam Bankman-Fried's mentor. Will McCaskill is literally the guy in Elon's messages trying to pitch like Elon to take SBS Sam's money. And as part yeah, of the- yeah. He could give you at least $5 billion as much as $8 billion, Elon. <laughs> the money's yeah, right. good here. Can you guys imagine <laughs> if that happened? I know oh, we're going to talk about God. Twitter later, but that would have been a fun, fun crossover episode. So Sam hired all these people. And like, you know, I talk with a lot of these people and like, you know, I've been talking with them over the last 48 hours and like everyone is in a state of, you know, trepidation and, and shock and, you know, to the point you're making about should Democrats return the money? Like there's a feeling of almost complicity here. Did they legitimize this person in some untoward way? Now, what I'm about to say is not a reference to Will because I don't know all these individual actors, but 
Sam was basically in like a, a cuddle puddle with some of these people, right? Or like Coindesk just had a story that he was like on and off dating the CEO of Alameda Research. That I mean, somebody used the word, which is a very San Francisco term, polycool. Like mm-hmm. just like the idea that they were all just dating each other and that was sort of a complicating factor in this. They were Teddy. all living in a loft in the Bahamas. Right. And just yeah, they, like, they, they all they do all live. To, I have no independent reporting on the romantic <laughs> relationships here, but it is true they did all live together. We're talking about sex, not romance. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> there was no emotion here. This is purely transactional. They were all sucking was, and fucking in the Bahamas. <laughs> what was the, what was the uh, while they were what, protecting what, their futures? <laughs> sure. I mean, the red flags. Just to quickly, we've covered a lot of them. Based in the Bahamas, relentless multi-party transactions, no investor board, little investor oversight. People he was dating, running things, friends running other things. I mean, I did write, the one thing I will defend myself on is I did really push the point that like, there was a lot of commentary that like, SBF's donations were like, well-intentioned, goodwill. And I mean, clearly, there was a strong incentive for him to like, stay close to the Democrats as like, pure, pure strategy. But, but yeah, I mean, well, I think, what, I think am I missing true. all the red I think, flags? I think, I think that's true. Sorry, just to, just to complicate that a little bit. I mean, I, th- I think I think you can are like SPF's people always got pissed at the idea that what they were doing on pandemics and in democratic politics was like shoehorned into a narrative about crypto, right? So they were right. always, you know, like this this was a huge deal. And I don't know if you guys followed like the, the congressional race in Oregon in the spring, where Sam spent like fifteen million dollars and basically helped prop up this kind of like you know, random candidate and like everyone in Oregon was, you know, positioning this as why is this, you know, Bahamas living tax avoiding crypto billionaire pushing his crypto agenda. And it wasn't really about crypto. That being said, like, of course, there are people in DC, like Sam was doing these two things simultaneously. He was, you know, pushing his pandemic preparedness agenda and pushing his crypto agenda. And like, can you really separate those two things if you're a congressperson who is like taking the meeting If you really want to double down on the effective altruism, true believer thing, I've heard people joking, and this seems like very implausible, but that like, you know, Sam basically absconded with all this money. It's like, oh, I probably wasn't going to make any more. I can donate this better than I could do anything with it. Just like run away with like billions to go like donate to, you know, that would be the, the ultimate effective altruism cause. Somebody literally tweeted like, you know, if anybody has the most high torque sort of moral intuitions around utilitarianism. Like, would you push like 99 people in front of a train to save 100? It would be SBF. So like, does this guy commit sure. like sort of the ultimate sort of heist to, uh, that would be the great, that would be the best version of this story that it's like Robin Hood. But uh, unfortunately, I'm skeptical. You mean like the story of Robin Hood, not the Robin Hood <laughs> trading, but he was basically right. taking money from right. rich people so he could direct it towards, you right. know, I mean, look, that is very effective altruism. Uh, the problem is that he brought down the entire movement through his yeah. collapse. So yeah, that's what, not What's the percentage chance on this theory? There is a lot of discussion, as you guys might expect, about this on the EA forum, which is like this like very active community message board sort of for the effective altruist movement. And there is like a almost defensive posture about the question of fraud right now. Like, is fraud okay? Like, is being <laughs> debated like vigorously? Right. Like, right. not really. I, that's, I'm, 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 I mean, no one is defending fraud, but like sure. people are voluntarily making clear that they're anti-fraud oh, on I sort see. of e- on sort of EA grounds. Like, cause right, I think, I think, you know, there there is a theoretical argument you can make that like Definitely. You know, hey, shouldn't isn't it like, you know, because and you know, utilitarianism and, and EA 
takes this to the extreme anyway. So I mean, some of the, you know, sort of more conservative type principles person would be very just sort of like, what are, what are the hard rules? And otherwise, like, I'm free to do what I want. Whereas like very much utilitarianism is all about like, let's run the calculus. Anything murder could be okay if like, you know, you're saving 10,000 people in the future or whatever. You know, this is all the sort of weird games they play. And so it's funny that they can't, they don't want to defend fraud right now, but it seems inherent uh, to the worldview that you you could right. get. Right. How committed are you to your beliefs here? Like, here's the ultimate test. We have, you know, positioned to you that your great benefactor was, in fact, allegedly uh, engaging in deception and, and, and fraud. And yet he was doing the most amount of good with that fraud as possible. So do you defend this, you know, effective altruism or not? Are you a believer in it or not? I mean, I think they should one by one have to answer for that, because if not, then they just were never true believers in the cause. I mean, who uh, of the great, you know, recipients of his uh, of his donations is suffering the most right now? Biden had a pretty good midterm, so maybe he's doing OK for the time being. But I mean, a, a lot a lot of this was I mean, um, like I've talked with some people who have gotten money from Sam over the last couple of years, um, you know, the basically there's the, the main group is called Guarding Against Pandemics which is sort of Sam's lobbying operation in D.C. Um, and they have a ton of people who work for them, either full-time or part-time. And, you know, I reported in the story today that, like, right now, Sam's brother is a guy, Gabe, who's very intimately involved in sort of overseeing all of Sam's non-FTX work. Gabe right now is, like, kind of frantically looking for more cash for the organization because... <laughs> what? Who would uh, give it to him? Well, I mean, you know, Gabe's argument that he's making to other people is that this was really his operation, Gabe's operation, that Sam funded. Obviously, the optics, you know, his last name is Bankman Free. I mean, yeah, the optics yeah I would start there. Yeah. Are going yeah. to be difficult. Sorry, buddy. Uh, uh, the nepotism train runs out when your brother, like, absconds with the money that made it possible. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm GBF. <laughs> I'm very different. <laughs> please, please give me your money. So there's that. I mean, but there's also kind of like the broader, like Democrats and progressive fundraisers were like obsessed with him as this, you know, like it's some of our, uh, I don't know if this is a big, big, big scoop from on, on Puck internal uh, machinations, but like people wanted to read about Sam Bankman Freed. Like it was right. people converted. <laughs> You're like, I on, got on subscribers. People converted on Sam. Right. On Sam. My money no. train is running out. <laughs> yeah, sure. So like people are very, there's an obsession, you know, anecdotally when you talk to people about like, you know, where where the money is going to go in democratic politics. Like, a lot of people wanted to get to know this person and get introductions to his network, partially because he was so young, right? Like, he was someone who people thought might be, you know, a democratic power broker for decades, um, obviously. So that it's sort of, it's almost like not only what was lost in the present, but sort of the, the future earnings that are now out of the picture. If this were Peter Thiel, the media, I mean, obviously, we're all going to ballistic over the actual FTX story, but Republicans would get tagged with it much more than Democrats are getting tagged Yeah, yeah, this. probably. Media bias. Are we going to talk yeah. about Peter Thiel in the election? I will say it. We have Teddy on here, so I will admit to it. I have said, and I said it on the podcast, that I thought Blake Masters would win. Now, I want to say, as we're recording this on a Friday, we should let the full democratic process play out. Not all the votes have been counted. <laughs> I want to make sure that everyone who voted in Arizona has a chance to have their vote counted. Uh, but it doesn't look good for Blake Masters. He ate shit on election night. Can I also just say on air related to pets, I had a bachelor party. I was pretty drunk, but I thought I had five to one odds nice. on, John, on Fetterman that if Fetterman won, I get $100 and if he lost, I had to pay 20. I was like, that's an insane deal. I'll definitely take it. 
And that friend, I texted him, Fetterman won, and he hasn't paid me. And I think he listens to this podcast. So you know who you are. I thought that was a real bet. I don't know that we shook our hands, though. So that friend, that friend, Sam Begley Freed. (laughs) (laughs) You're not seeing that money, Eric. (laughs) That money's all gone. Your money's not here. Your money's not here. It's over there. <laughs> um, but okay, so so Peter Thiel. I mean, what? Wh- let's take stock a little bit uh, of his kind of role in the future of Republican politics because JD Vance did win, although not maybe as impressively as people would have thought. But you know, Ohio is basically just a straight up Republican state now, and so that really it was all it took to to carry uh, JD Vance across the line. Blake Masters lost. I think you'll probably hear an argument from people that. Had there been a better candidate, maybe a candidate who had a job prior to running for office or no, wasn't not, not a little book factotum guy? Yeah, wasn't yeah, terrifying people with his kind of blank stares and generally creepy demeanor that probably CrossFit, poster. Yeah, yeah. I, I do love the clip of Mark Kelly being like, you want like this guy, the kind of guy who just like tells you he knows better than you, like sort of debate school kid. You want this guy, you know, I, I, I did love just like, look at him. Look at this guy. Right. Like, My closing <laughs> argument is like, look at this fucking guy. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So there's, you know, a, a solid argument you're hearing made, you know, among Republicans that there were just really bad candidates here. And, and he was pushed across the line almost entirely by Peter Thiel. So what to make of well, his role in the future? Okay, go, go. Tell uh, me. I mean, I mean, I mean, I think the Peter Thiel narrative has been overstated, I think, in lots of ways. Like, I mean, Peter spent $2.5 million to boost Blake Masters in the general election. That is sure, like but in the pri- Blake Masters would not the, even be on the political map if yeah, not for who Peter is this Thiel's. guy? The, well, he's nobody. Just, like, Tom, Tom was saying that he, he pushed over the line by Peter Thiel. Uh, I meant, like, over the line in terms of getting the nomination. He didn't even uh, win. Uh, sure. so he, he no, the, no, no, the nomination no. in the primary. In the right. primary. I would, I would, I would, I would even... Put, I mean, well, this is debatable, but I, I I would even argue that the Peter Thiel money for Blake Masters and for J.D. Vance was not determinative in those races. Both of those races had had self-funders who ended up spending a lot of money. Like $15 million is a lot, but also but not. But if, if Blake Masters and J.D. Vance don't have do Peter, Peter Thiel in their yeah, life, sure. they are fucking nobodies. I, I agree that they do not win the races without Peter Thiel, but okay, I don't know great. what Next. Like, like um, <laughs> but no, but, but but seriously though, because I think there was so much written about, and I the reason yeah. that I made the Blake Masters prediction was because I first of all believed the polls and you know vibes and shit like that, but also I just foresaw this future in which both those guys got you know elected, and we were going to be awash in all these stories of Peter Thiel is the you know financial and ideological force behind the modern Republican Party, and because things played out in kind of complicated and bad ways for those candidates. Well, I think that really I complicates I mean, like, that narrative. So, so wh- where are we with Teal? Okay, let's be clear. J- JD Vance won. Like, like JD Vance is a U.S. senator. Peter Teal was a huge part of JD Vance's campaign. Like, you know, the the fact that so, so when Peter wins, like, 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 like I, he's I, I, a big deal. Back, and when he yeah. and when they lose, no, he, I'm just pushing back on the idea that like I feel like I feel like you guys are framing this like both these candidates lost. Like, oh yeah, Peter's JD Vance won. Like, yeah. no, JD Vance won. won. He's a U.S. senator, yeah. six year term. Yeah. Like it Peter Roberts once. Um, which guy do no. we get? Do we get the guy out of, you know, the book or what? I can never remember that fucking book's name. Well, I bet it's fucking complicated for him now, right? Because there were two, right, you're saying there were there were two J.D. Vances. There was the one who was anti-Trump, then there was the one who was like groveling at his feet so he could get the endorsement, which he did, and that got him the nomination. So, but now Ooh, Trump is sort right. of a damaged figure. So who does he, who does he, you know, who does he loyal to? And then with Blake, 
Yes, he's probably going to lose. Though, though, like I mean, like you know, the the I guess the what is I guess the comes to what was the goal here? Was the goal to win the Senate seats, or was the goal to like establish himself as like a Republican player? Because both of these people had no chance of being the nominee at the very beginning of their campaigns, right? Oh, and yeah. they, it's still a win for Teal. Uh, like I, I feel like it's, I feel like it's still a win for Peter overall. Because, at the end of the day, Teal, Teal, like, Teal like, doesn't decide whether it's a red wave or not. Like that's way yeah, out of like yeah. Peter elected two nominees. One U.S. senator, I think if neither of them had been the nominee, it would, this would have been a failure. But I think overall, the Peter 2022 political experiment was a success. Yeah, overall. I agree. And hmm. Chapkin in his book basically says this is just the beginning. And that seems to be what you're saying. Well, I also, I also, I think it's more. I've, I've, I've been more. I've been more. Teddy, you're too nuanced. Come, come I've been more contrarian. I've been more contrarian on, on that on that idea. I, I feel like some of Peter's electoral interest, in my opinion, is overstated. I think some stories make it seem like he wants to be like a kingmaker and a power broker. I do not think that is true. The things that he's successful in doing are the things he wanted to do. The things he's not successful in doing are the things he never wanted to do in the first place. So, what do you mean? I, I was just being snide. I was yeah. just saying that yeah. he, he well, gets to decide whether he... Yeah. Well, I mean, look, this is, you know, we're, we're speculating... Uh, you know, however we want to at this point, but from what you're hearing within the power brokers in the Republican Party, are they happy with the way things played out for his candidates? Like, will they accept more advice and, you know, ideological motivation yeah. from him? I mean, there, there are some in the like, Republican establishment in more moderate communities, right, who think that Peter has been a, for, has been a force for, not for evil, but has, has been, a, uh, has not been a productive player, right? Um, you know, there was a huge storyline over the, over the summer, with regards to Mitch McConnell and Peter Thiel, right, where they were upset that Peter, in their view, supported these relatively right-wing candidates in the primary who they saw as less electable in the general election and then declined to spend money on them in the general. So they sort of thought that, you know, Peter handed them a, you know, a turd sandwich and made them, you know, spend money to get the turd right. sandwich. Like the and they have senator. at least something of a case with that, with Blake Masters. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to know the counterfactual here on, like, how like Mark Burnovich, who was the Arizona AG and, and, you know, Blake's main rival in the primary, like how would Burnovich have done against Kelly? Like, who knows? Is Teal as connected in DeSantis world as he is in Trump world? Peter and DeSantis have met before, I think twice. Peter's also, let's be clear, like not that connected in Trump world. Like, I think us in Silicon Valley media make Peter out to be this like Trump whisperer. He's sort of in like the second orbit of right. like business leaders well, he was close, close to, to Bannon, right? And then basically close to, close to pushed it too hot. Sure. He like tried to get them to appoint all these crazy people, right? That but like, happen. I would I would venture to, this is like informed speculation based on some reporting, Trump and Peter probably talk every couple months. It's not but like you every can see weeks. You can see Trump in the Blake Masters clip. Like, I don't know who is that documentary. Yeah, yeah. Where Trump he's like, is like talking what is Peter about doing? Teal, right? He talks about Peter, Teal, he talks about Peter in this way that he doesn't like is really Is Peter know giving you more him. money? Yeah, he should be giving you more money. That's good. That's good. Oh, is he sending some money now? He's giving you a mile. I think so. And I think, I think, uh, I think it's going to flow in now. I tell Peter, help you. Help, help. help. <laughs> well, I'll tell him you said that. The one yard line. Yeah. He seemed like very respectful for Trump of Teal. You know, it seemed like mm. he understood this was like a powerful guy. My point is like, I, I, would, I wouldn't overstate. I, wouldn't, I, w- I would not say... Trump and Teal are close. I guess, I think that's not true. I don't know how much you pay attention to David Sachs. You know, he's he, he's mice nuts compared to Teal when it comes to you know investing in, in or start donating. Was in that these, a in reference these... to? 
the, his weird text to Elon about why he couldn't oh, be he, a big backer on Twitter. He calls himself that. Yeah, yeah. But like, you know, yeah, Sachs is part of this whole contingent of people that are fixated on cancel culture and woke people. No, they've been and, super quiet since Republicans lost. I mean, yeah, it's but, been funny. Yeah, I mean, but there's, you know, I do think that is a contingent of right-wing Silicon Valley belief that, you know, the biggest threat to free speech and, you know, our, our democracy is woke people on Twitter, like, announcing their gender pronouns. And you can make an argument that that worldview was pretty handily rejected. Yeah, uh, well, Andrew Sullivan literally just wrote a column basically saying he way over-twerked around woke culture and he's sort of embarrassed. And, yeah, uh, normal like, people actually weren't that <laughs> upset about right. that. And they were worried about democracy. It, like, turns out, you know, I don't know, it's very vindicated. I, my hope... I do think we're going to burn. I've been saying that I feel like cancel culture is like burning out. So what are these woke people going to even have to yell about soon? And like I mean the anti-woke people or both, I guess. I'm saying that, yeah, the people who want to, the anti-woke people, but they're right. the people who want to talk about right. wokeness incessantly. So in a certain way, they are the woke people because they're obsessed with it, are not going to have much to talk about because while they can invent things like crime, and like weird libs of TikTok stuff. It's just like they need the actual material at some point. And I do think it's it's like wokeness is not. A, I live in Brooklyn. Like a lot of times these I live in Brooklyn. I don't even see it that much. You know, I say all sorts of things like I, I don't really understand like where the cancel culture is anymore. I don't know if you if you have any thoughts on on where things are with, you know, that strain. Spin of, of- this forward. About the 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 woke backlash. Or to, just like uh, what the midterm election, what the yeah. midterm election means broadly for like political alignment and then translate that if at all possible into what it means for Silicon Valley and it's alignment. Yeah, I mean, look, the energy in Silicon Valley is with the right. You know, Elon's takeover of Twitter is sort of the crystallization of, of, of that like vague sense of where the energy lies, right? And like, yeah, I think people like David Sachs, I don't think they're not important. Like David Sachs is like, you know, helping to like run Twitter day to day right now, right? He... Uh, you know, doing a bang up job. Talk, someone who talks to Peter and Elon Musk, you know, frequently about political stuff. Um, you know, the podcast they host is obviously Huge. popular. Yeah, yeah. And look, I mean, I think that clearly he's going to have more influence going forward. And you know, like I think in terms of how the midterm affects this, like you know, this is not the like red wave that you know all the you know conservative influencers were were desperate for it to be. They lost. Well, I mean, like you know, Republicans still control the House, and you know, it's clearly going to be divided government, um, which like, I think Trump 2024 will reveal whether or not Silicon Valley is serious about this or not, is serious about this, like, political engagement, because you know, all these people would love if DeSantis was the nominee, right? Because then they can just sort of pretend that, like, Trump's not a factor in the party. But right. will Peter Thiel and David Sachs be hosting, like, DeSantis 2024 events? Like, I can see it. Yeah. Twitter. Boy, guys, haven't been on it for the last week or so. Sounds like a lot's going on over uh, over at Twitter <laughs> HQ. I've been told everyone's got to go into the office, but what exactly they're going to be working on is a, is a real question. Look, here, I guess, would be my, my quick thing on, on Twitter, which is the stories coming out at, about, you know, out of the company right now are just incredible. You know, the amount of just unrest and frustration and, and fear and anger that employees are expressing to great reporters like Casey Newton and, and Zoe over at Platformer and, you know, reports that the insider and the information and whatever clearly are showing that there is a ton of people there that are super fucking pissed off at how Elon is running things. I do have a tendency to think that whenever the media coalesces around a narrative so strongly that we may be missing something. And it's very yeah. possible that there is a whole other side of things going on inside Twitter. And because Elon gives zero shits about PR and, it, you know, a normal... And Elon, C- 
Yeah. Elon has an incentive to make it seem bad right now. Like yeah. any good narrative storyteller knows, make it seem He's saying we might go bankrupt. You know, like right. the media just takes that face value. There's very little like he's not a total idiot. Like why is he deciding to say that it might go bankrupt? And I do think there's an argument that it's like tank expectations and then and then go from there. Yeah. The only thing, the only two reasons that make me a little bit skeptical about that narrative and then I'll push to you guys is like one, that actually really does damage your relationship with advertisers. The, the worse things look will cause them to want to pull their money. So it is kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I, I mean, Elon may just not know that because he doesn't know shit about advertising. So that's, you know, he could end up, you know, in, in trying to create the sense of urgency, actually create real urgency. And the other thing is that if you fucking read the text messages on Elon, it really seems that they just have no clue what they're doing. They went into this thing with no real ideas. It just was like snowballed. And, and and got out of control, and this does kind of seem like the ultimate. Right. They're not secretly smarter than you think. Like yeah, they... yeah. So <laughs> so so I, you know, I I want to leave open the possibility this place won't burn down to the ground in in a couple of weeks. But man, if you read the stories, it seems like it will. I don't know. What do you guys think? I'm trying to I'm trying to spend. Uh, I don't know. We we uh, can, can I divulge that we've moved our 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 group DM off of off of Twitter to Signal? Yeah. That, yeah, that, huge uh, blow, right? Huge blow. blow. Huge, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Proprietary scoop. Must credit Dead Cat Podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm I'm definitely concerned about just as a, as as a user, you know, who spends too much time on it. Like, I'm finding it much, much, much less useful than it's ever been. The problem I've been is tweeting so, every other second, so maybe that's why. Uh. <laughs> I say I say as I'm literally on Twitter right now, writing a tweet right now. Uh, uh, <laughs> <Say> why <laughs> won't Eric and Tom let me off their show? <laughs> Send yeah, we got, some, we, got, we, we got some news. Wait, we got wait. some news. Anyway, th- no, but like, like it's just, it's just not, uh, it's not useful anymore. But it's also, you know, so become so essential and and, and wired in our brains. It's a huge uh, part of my brain. Yeah. Did you want that to be the case, Eric, or is that just like? It's just like my. It's. I've said this before, but it is literally where the universe exists to me. Like that, more than the real world, is like what is happening in the world. Like it's hard to understate that. I have gone on, I mean, after college, I hiked the Appalachian Trail for a month. And that was like, half of the motivation for that was like a digital detox. And your brain is like, totally different after that. And I really need to do a lot more work. And I'm trying to get better of like, really not looking at my phone for hours on end. But I am, my brain is like trained to just like wake up and look at Twitter notifications. It's it's dark. Yeah. It's no, but we all need to uh, rethink our... Our lives. relationships and this, with and this, and this, and this, and this is a good opportunity to do it right i mean this is like a forcing function well tom and right. i we're always i can't speak for you but we're always deleting apps from our phone i mean tom you deleted twitter off your phone right it's been off for a while but i would just go to it through the browser so that didn't really work at all like that's what a real junkie does <laughs> i delete tiktok you know every other day and then i'm like oh i'm bored like whatever yeah no look i've been off twitter for it's been a week now uh i will say that during the midterms it was a little sad not being on there because it is sometimes useful to see you know the updates like there were people that published really valuable shit only on twitter you know people like uh what's his name from the cook political report and what's his name dave wasserman like if you really want right, like the, right. the you know the inch by inch progression of stuff like twitter is useful for right. that important but, people will make a call but on the flip side like i felt like with the elections i went to bed woke up and the New York Times was like the same, like nothing had happened. Like, well, nothing, and imagine no. if you were just sitting on Twitter for like hours all night. It's like nothing happened all night. Like you would have just been sitting there like with these dribs and drabs, like totally made up developments. 
Yeah. So I guess we, we can end this by saying there is a life outside of Twitter. I've done it for the last week. I can't say it's like mountains. You're better. off. You're I'm off. off. I'm off, basically. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll probably be back in a month or so. I, I can't I, stay well, that the, long. The problem, and I'll, I'll end with this, like the problem is that it's it's like basically become my entire like news consumption yeah. like engine. Like I don't like, I would venture to say that 90% of the news stories I read are things from Twitter. Like I never right. go to like NewYorkTimes.com. So I feel like I feel like if I got off Twitter tomorrow, I would miss things. Uh, oh yeah, and I would need I would need to find some other way to get that information. Like maybe 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 I could build healthier ways to get that information. Like through well, hilariously or something. I don't know. Uh, hilariously, to bring this whole podcast full circle, a couple of days ago, Katie sent a DM to Eric and I, and a DM like a like a message to Eric and I, and she was like, "Wait, so is FTX like dead or something?" And I was like. No, I think there's just some weird fight between SBF and CZ. I don't think there's anything more to it than that. And that was literally like the you know the company was shutting down. So so yeah, you do miss things when you're not when you're not hooked into the feed. And the, you're saying the point of that is that you weren't on Twitter, so you had no idea. And yeah, I was yeah, on Twitter, you, and I'm like, what are you talking? Yeah, about? what the fuck is wrong with you? And I just like hadn't like updated tech meme that recently. So yeah, you do miss things. The other you know the side point of that is like, well, what do you really miss if it takes you an extra sure. hour? To get to the and, news. And, and we're yeah. not regular. Like, because, I mean, part one of the answers to how people could escape Twitter is like with newsletters that sort of round up like what the conversation is at any given moment. And so while that's good advice for other people, at least for myself, you know, I would <laughs> I'd be writing the newsletter. So I need to sort of experience Twitter for other people. Now, if you're like a I think if you're doing more step back pieces, investigative pieces, magazine pieces, may, maybe you don't feel that way. And, and so more reporters could escape Twitter. Pay for Teddy, pay for Eric, pay for Insider. That's all you need. Get off Twitter. Wow. It does nothing. There it is. That's my closing statement. All right. Thanks a bunch for coming back on. What you Is bet. this your third or second? It's my uh, it, it's third, third or fourth. No, wow. it's your third, I think. You get your 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 three-star What's token. Aaron at? What's Aaron at? <laughs> Three. Yeah, fuck Aaron Griffith. <laughs> Keep that <laughs> in. We're keeping it in. <laughs> trying to make it spicy for your, uh, you know. That's what we like, need. Like, <laughs> like, if you want this to be like, you know, a sports podcast, you need to have some more beefs. All right. All right. Thanks, Teddy. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Silicon Valley. Goodbye. 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 Go